This morning, one more time, we sing, Lord of all the earth. Don't you love it when God puts situations or different things that may happen in your life and you're like, yeah, that was just a God thing. Aren't you thankful for those moments where you step away and, and uh, you're like, yeah, that was, that was a God moment. That was a God thing. Sorry, I'm sweating. But, um, the other day, I was actually at my mother's house, and uh, this lady came to pick something up from the house, and and uh, and I said, "Why don't you come on in?" And she's like, "Oh, okay, that's fine." And she started talking, and and uh, you could just tell that she was just kind of just drained, and I don't know from what, but it was just she didn't know who we were, we didn't really know who she was, but she's just picking this item up, and. And uh, so she just started asking questions. And I said, yeah, I got five kids. And we talked about just, you know, the stresses of life and all that's going on. And, and I said, but yet, you know, um, so thankful that God, God still reigns. And she's like, oh, yeah. And then, and then she just started um, crying. Then she came into the house, and, and my mom and I were there. And she was standing by the table. And she just started sharing that she has a child that um, has severe autism 
and she's like, I just don't know how to calm her down. Like she's just getting at an age where, I mean, she's like, we're doing medication, we're doing different things. And, and, and I just said, you know, I think it's the power of prayer that can help this. And she just started crying. And she's like, yeah, I mean, I believe God. I, I know God. And, and we just believe in the power of prayer. And I said, well, why don't we pray for you? And, and it's just those moments, church, that me and my mom, then we ended up laying hands on her and, and we prayed for her. And she just felt such a load off. And, and I said, you know, even through the pressures and the storms that we go through, God still loves you. God still cares. God's still on the throne. And so just as an encouragement, church, there may be things that you're going through, I'm going through, oh my goodness. And it can be really discouraging. And almost like you just want to give up. It's like, I'm just done. I'm just done. I just want it to be done. But I'm thankful that there's moments where I, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling on my words. I have to believe and I have to hope and know that God is in control of my life. I have to, I have to. Otherwise I live in constant fear and I live in constant depression. And I live in constant struggle, but I have to make that choice church that I am going to serve God no matter what. And that all, and as long as I'm going to serve him, I know that he is going to make a way for me. I mean, if his eyes on the stupid bird, I mean, all God's creatures are great. Don't call FEMA or PETA. Sorry. If his eyes on the bird, why is it on me? And I know it is. Not for a minute am I forsaken. But I am redeemed. For the Lord is in this place. Amen. The Lord is in this place. right now and say, God, I am redeemed. I am called. I am chosen. Can't go back to the beginning. I can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle is the place where you promise to be. Not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Yes, Lord. Because all I want is all you
as I walk. As I walk now through the valley, let your love rise above every fear. Like the sun shaping the shadow In my weakness Your glory
up, church. our hands this morning. Can you just love upon Jesus? Lord, I'm so thankful, oh God, that I am not forsaken, but Lord, I am redeemed by your blood, by your power. And Lord, I know that this world, Lord, is so difficult at times, so stressful at times. But Lord, we understand that you hold us in the palm of your hand, oh God, that we are not forsaken by you. Jesus. Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this
we're so thankful for your presence that's in this room. You are in charge. You are in control. We lack nothing with you, oh God. You are still on the throne. We worship you and we're thankful. Open our ears to hear this morning. Open our minds to understand. But more importantly, may we open our hearts to receive your word. Anoint your servant, oh God. Can you all just let your hands and just pray for our pastor? God, I'm so thankful for our leadership. And Lord, I know during this uncertain time, oh God, that it is, it's difficult. It's difficult to lead with all the things that are coming at and around him, oh God. And right now I pray that you just give fresh fire, fresh anointing, a fresh spirit, oh God, of your presence. Pray for wisdom and direction and guidance, oh God. I'm so thankful for pastor and his wife. I pray for a hedge of protection around their, their selves and around their home. We're thankful, Jesus. Have your way today. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Can you do one favor for me and just look at somebody and say, hey, I love you. <laughs> Our cities need Jesus. How many of you believe that? Our cities need Jesus. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Hope you're glad you're here this morning. How many of you are glad you're here this morning? Upright and taking nourishment. Glad to see you. 
Just want to let you know that we do have an overflow room available in BSC. So if you ever come in to first service and can't find a seat, we are sending a video signal up there. And I know of a couple of parents who have chosen to go up there to let their kids romp a little more freely. <laughs> so uh, make yourself um, available to that if you would choose to do so. We're going to begin a series through Nehemiah. I just didn't feel like I could leave this journey after we had the conclusion to Ezra's story because the story's not complete until you get to Nehemiah. And I think it's particularly relevant to what's happening in our world today. So I'm going to give you a brief review. There will not be a test over this, so don't worry about having to recall it later. But we started off with the story of Ezra, and you'll remember the first six chapters of Ezra were the return from Babylonian captivity to Jerusalem under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. What did Zerubbabel do? Zerubbabel came back to rebuild the temple. What does the temple represent? It represents the structure or the facilitating of worship. It's not worship in and of itself, but it's the facilitating of that, that after captivity, they had to rebuild the structure. And I'm telling you that today we're, we're in COVID captivity. <laughs> and we're having to rebuild the structure. Everything is changing. You have to rebuild that. In fact, that's the nature of ministry. So the structure gets changed. And then that 58-year gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7 is the story of Esther. Whenever the church begins to move forward, the devil's going to try to destroy the people of God. Haman hatches a plan to destroy God's people. God intervenes, and Esther leads in the rescue of the people of God. And I think one of the reasons people aren't excited about worshiping, I'm not talking about whether you do it at home or in church, but there needs to be passion about our worship wherever we are, that people aren't passionate about their worship because they've never been rescued. I don't know about you, but I'm not a religious observer. I'm a rescued, sentenced to death child of God. I've been rescued. And because of that, I worship him, not to fulfill a religious duty, but because my life has been saved from the ravages of the enemy. And so you have, Ezra, or you have Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple, then you have Esther rescuing God's people, and then Ezra comes on the scene to restore worship. They had allowed their worship to become perverted, and worship being a way of life, not a religious service. Worship, you know that, right? That worship is everything from Sunday to Saturday. It's not what happens from uh, 9 to 10.15. It's what happens after 10.15 until 9 o'clock next Sunday. All of that is worship. It had become perverted. It looked like the world. It looked like the devil. And so all of that took place, and that's where we ended last week. So let me rehearse that one more time. Zerubbabel led in the rebuilding of the temple. Esther led in the rescuing of God's people. Ezra led in the restoration of worship. And so what happens when Nehemiah comes on the scene? Nehemiah is going to lead in the redeeming of the city. And what I felt like God burned in my heart is this simple truth, that the work that God wants to do in the church isn't completed until it reaches the city. Yeah, I don't think you heard that. The work that God wants to do in the church isn't complete in the church. Just because we're enjoying worship and we've regained some ground, that's not the end of the story. God always has an outward focus. God always cares about the lost. 
God always cares about the redemption of the world. And what God does in the church isn't complete until it redeems the city. And our city needs redemption all around us. Our cities need the life-saving, life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And so Nehemiah goes back to redeem the city. The work that God did in Jerusalem was to redeem the people that had gathered there. Now, when I say the word redeem, often we think of something being bought back, and that's certainly true. We are redeemed not by perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us back from the enemy. We were redeemed by the purchase price of Jesus' blood. You say, did he buy us back from the devil? He didn't owe the devil anything. Come on. He didn't owe the devil anything. But he owed the fulfillment of the righteous demands of a holy God. And the blood of Jesus Christ didn't go to hell to scare the devil. It went on the mercy seat in heaven to satisfy the righteousness of God. And because of that, I can approach the throne of grace with boldness and find grace to help in my hour of need because that payment ripped the veil in two, gave me access into the throne room of God, and in that, redemption puts me in right standing with him because he paid the price for my sins. I get a little frustrated when people talk about he paid the devil. He didn't pay the devil anything. So then we are to redeem the city. Do we have to buy it back? No, the word redemption is bigger than that. It carries more than that. Let me tell you what else it means. It means to get or win back. It means to free from what distresses or harms. It means to release from blame or debt, to clear, or, listen to this, to free from the consequences of sin, to repair or restore. What are we called to do? We're called to call the world back to free our world from the consequences of sin. We're called to repair what's broken. We're called to restore what was lost. And we don't do that by erasing the consequence. You don't get rid of the consequence of sin by trying to mitigate the consequence. You get rid of the consequence of sin by removing the sin. Now, some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to say next, but... I get in discussions often about benevolence and the purpose of the church. And I just taught for two days on effective leadership. And what does church leadership look like to the leaders coming up in our uh, state? And the whole idea is to determine what we're here for. Now, why don't you listen to me carefully? I, you, I don't want you to misunderstand me. But we are not here to undo the consequences of people's behaviors. We're here to assist people on their journey to Jesus. And that involves how we approach benevolence. How do we handle benevolence here? I'm telling you that the wage of sin is death. I'm saying if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. And if you want to live an ungodly lifestyle and follow after the devil and live after the lust of your flesh, we're not going to help you do it by paying your bills. Ooh, that kind of lost a little momentum. But we're here to lead men and women to Jesus. And if on the way your journey, you need some help along the way, we'll come along the way because God ordained that people who do wrong things suffer the consequences of their behavior. I know it's not popular today, but frankly, right now today, I don't care what's popular. Not that I cared yesterday. So how do you undo the consequences? 
not by paying their bills, but releasing them from their debt. The debt that they owe God that's covered by the blood of Jesus. And I'm saying to you that what we've experienced out here, it's time for the church to not feel inferior or um, intimidated or threatened by the position we hold. I don't care how much they scream against the church and you've got to know that there is the potential for that to get worse and worse in the days that are ahead. And I'm not backing up to be accepted. I'm not backing up so that people won't get upset. I'm going to stand for the righteousness of God and the truth of Jesus Christ because the only way you can undo the consequences of sin is to undo the cause of the consequence, which is sinful behavior. And it is our job in that limited sense to take what we've experienced inside the walls communicate that outside the walls it's our job to redeem the city the city needs us whether they know it or not how many of you ever feel like your parent your children don't appreciate you but how many know they need you whether they know it or not hello that little swat on the behind is for their good or whatever you do I'm saying to you that a parent has to see the ultimate good of the child, whether the child appreciates it or not. And I'm saying to the church, whether the world appreciates it or not, we are their answer. Come on, help me now. We are their answer. Their answer is the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Nehemiah came to help or lead in the redemption of the city. Tim Keller, pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City, says this, no other religion except Christianity has hope for this world. Muslims don't have hope for this world. Mormons don't have hope for this world. Buddhists don't have hope for this world. Transcendental meditation doesn't have hope for this world. Boy, you're being pretty negative today. I know it. But I think it's time to clear the air, draw the lines, and remind us of who we are. We have the only answer for a lost and dying world, and that's not religious activity. It's the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to own that and be assertive with it and aggressive with it and communicate it to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news. In the middle of bad news, in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of difficulty, they need to hear the good news. Because on top of, my wife and I were having a discussion this morning, on top of corona, on top of the riots, on top of everything that's happening right now, people are still dealing with the everyday tragedies of life. They're piled up on top of that. I had a call this morning and a family that um, have associated with us, have attended here, aren't back yet, but the family had gone through, a couple had gone through a divorce, have children. The mother was killed in a car accident yesterday afternoon. Three little boys now are motherless. And they called and said, what, you know, can you, can you help? Can you call? I can't help. But I know one who can. He's the balm of Gilead. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's everything that we need him to be. And the answer that I have isn't in me. It's not in you. It's in him. And I, it just struck me that that's a bad story anyway, to lose a, a mother, to lose someone that you care about. 
But on top of everything else that's happening, when, when, if not now, let me ask you, when does the world need to hear that there's an answer in Jesus? It's the world we're living in. Amen. So what do we do about that? What do we do to maintain this biblical outward focus? Number one, if we're going to be involved as Nehemiah was in the redeeming of the city, you need, you need, I need to investigate the condition of the city. We need to get our hands dirty. We need to look out and see what's happening. We need to watch what's happening around us and hear where people are struggling. The church cannot isolate itself within the walls and separate itself from the drama that's out there. And I'm just going to tell you, when you get out in a world system and try to interact with people that aren't Christians and find out the story, the mud and dust of the world will splash on you from time to time. But that's what we're called to do. We're not called to keep our hands sanitized. We're called spiritually to get involved in the lives of people and understand the tragedy and the difficulties and the struggles that they're going through. We need to investigate the needs of the city. I've shared this numerous times when I came to, when we came to Brian 10 years ago, I asked God to give me a word for where we needed to go as a church community. And there were three things that he spoke to me and I knew it was God because they all started with the letter E. (laughs) The first was to um, engage in worship, that the body needed to engage in the worship experience. And that was before I ever got here that the body needed to be edified and built up. So edify the body, engage God in worship. And then I thought, well, we need to evangelize. And God said, no, you don't need to evangelize. You need to exegete the community. You don't throw the gospel at them till you know who they are. You don't offer them something to eat till you know what they're hungry for. How many are hearing what I'm saying? You can't do that if you're not aware of what's going on in your neighbor's lives, in your friend's lives, in the life of the community, to exegete that and get involved in that. And that's going to cost you. And sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to put you in an awkward place. But you need to investigate the condition of the city where you live, what's going on in your neighborhood, what's going on in your school district, what's going on in the lives of the people around you. You see, the Bible, uh, Nehemiah's story begins this way. Nehemiah seemed to just be genuinely curious. There's nothing here about a burden from God at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah. It doesn't say I was praying and God spoke to me. It just says in the month of Kislev, in the, in the 20th year while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So there's nothing spiritually happening in verse 1, I don't think. I don't think he had this urge from God. I think he was just curious. I think he was just curious. Hey, you're at Jerusalem. How's it going? How are people doing? What's the condition of the city? You see, he'd be fully aware historically of what Zerubbabel had done. He'd be fully aware of what happened under Esther. He'd been fully aware of what happened under um, under Ezra, and I think it was about 12 years between the end of Ezra, 14, something like that, between the end of Ezra and the beginning of Nehemiah, and he just wants to know. Do you know there's a, <laughs> there's a difference between being curious and being nosy? Come on. 
Come on now, how many know what I'm, ta- what I'm, what I'm saying this morning? Yeah. Some people are just nosy. Do you know what nosy is? You want to know things that are none of your business and you have no intention of doing anything about it. Except to gossip to your neighbor and make someone else look bad. That's nosy. It's just nosy. I counseled a couple once. And how many of you know that, that people can get their lives pretty messed up? How many know that? Yeah, so there was this couple, and I can't go in the, it was such a mess. Uh, this was a couple where I stood out in front of a school, and the husband was so mad at me, he's screaming at me while I'm picking up my kids, calling me Beelzebub. That's not a good day. <laughs> Beelzebub, Beelzebub, Beelzebub. And I wanted to explain to him that I'm not Beelzebub, and God told me to get in my vehicle and drive away, which was really hard for me to do, but I did, and probably kept us both out of jail. I don't know, I'm just saying. <laughs> So their life was a mess. I'd worked with them, talked with them. There was a point in their journey when they were doing really well. And we were at a fellowship time out in a park. And they walked over to me and they said, Pastor, you know all the skeletons in our closet. And I don't think I knew them all. (laughs) I don't think I knew them all. They said, we'd like to know some of the skeletons in your closet. (laughs) That's nosy. And I simply said, that's not going to happen because the skeletons in my closet have been covered by the blood of Jesus. And even the devil doesn't have access to them and I'm not giving you access to them. Pastor, are there skeletons in your closet? Are you kidding me? Enough to scare you away on Halloween. But Jesus has delivered us. Hello? He has redeemed us. We're covered by the blood, and those things are washed away. And I don't need to know your skeletons unless it's affecting you today. And if it's affecting you today, then I want to get involved and release you from that bondage. But it's not about being nosy and wanting to know what's in everybody's business. But sometimes, some of you need to be a little more curious than you are. Wonder what's going on in town. I wonder what's going on in the city. I wonder what's going on over here. There's something about a curiosity that can begin you on a journey. Simply as asking, how is everyone doing? I believe that there is a curiosity that can be God-directed. That sometimes God will put a curiosity on the inside of you that isn't motivated by a lustful or a devious mindset, but really does want to know, I wonder. For instance, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. I haven't seen them for a while. Don't call me and ask me how they're doing. Call them and ask them how they're doing. Hello, is anyone in the house this morning? When there's a curiosity that rises up in you, then reach out and follow that. See where that leads. What if they get mad and slam the door on me or hang up on me? Then you will have your curiosity satisfied in that moment. A desire, a question. I was just asking. Have you ever asked someone a question and and they said, why are you asking? (laughs) That's not about you. That's about them. You just touched a spot that probably needs some Jesus attention. Why are you asking? 
respond to the curiosity, pay attention to that, and discern the moment. However, understand this, that asking for answers to questions, how many are with me right now? Asking for answers to questions makes you accountable for the answer. Once you ask the question and get the answer, you don't have freedom to walk away. You only have freedom to make it a matter of prayer, to respond to it, to minister that need, but you are now accountable. People will ask me questions from time to time, and some of you have heard me say this. (laughs) I'm going to pick on Gary here on the front row. If Gary asks me a question, I might respond to him this way. Don't ask the question if you don't want the answer. People, <laughs> well, this will help us. This will help us all get along better if you'll follow with me here. People will say, Pastor, what do you think about? Um, do you want me to answer that? Because I will. And I'll answer it without shading. I'll just answer it. So if you don't want the answer, don't ask the question. Pastor, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? (laughs) Don't ask the question if you don't want the answer. And once you get the answer, you're accountable for what you've heard, what someone has shared with you, and how you respond to what you've just gathered in. Do you know that how serious is this matter? It's really serious in legal matters. If you ask a child how they're doing and they confess to you that they've been molested, do you know that if you don't respond to that, you say, well, I'm not a mandatory reporter. It doesn't matter. If you don't respond to that and they told you when they come of age, they can sue you because you knew and weren't accountable for the information. But you knew, but you knew, but you knew. We need to investigate the city, but when we do, then we will know and we will be held accountable. So the whole thrust here, once you have an answer, you have a degree of accountability. He's saying, what about the city? And he says, those who have survived the exile are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I wish I hadn't asked. <laughs> when, I wished, when I heard those things, I tried to forget it. When I heard those things, I called Ezra and said, Ezra, why don't you get on this? It's not what he did. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Listen to me for a minute. When was the last time you wept over our cities? probably got mad over our cities last week. I don't care when you got mad. When was the last time you wept? Hello? When was the last time you wept 
over the condition of the cities. And I know we're so divided politically and we have all these, these entities that are competing for attention and bickering back and forth and I've never seen the vitriol and anger that there is. And I'll hear someone say something that makes me mad, but I need to get to the place where it makes me cry. That I weep over the city. If you want to change your city, you have to investigate the condition of the city. Second, you need to intercede for the needs of the city. Now, this is going to take a different turn than you think. But I want us to watch for a moment how Nehemiah began to pray. His heart is broken. He's praying over the needs of the city. And you need to pray over the needs of the city, but perhaps not in the way that you think. And I want to give you a, a great way to pray. Take the Bible prayers and pray those back to God. Let the Spirit of God empower those and enlighten those and expound those as you pray and pray alongside them. So when Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. I'll say, I'm praying for so-and-so. God, would you enlighten the eyes of their understanding? Would you remove the barriers? Pray the scriptures. Let it lead you in praying. And Nehemiah is going to show us how to pray for our cities. He starts off with praise. We all need to clean out our, our spirit by praising God. Amen. Because once you get in the middle of what's wrong in the city, you can get burdened down with that and angry with that and, and get all, all, all dirty on the inside with the, dirty, the dirt that's around you. Lord God of heaven, great and awesome God, when we look at the cities, we need to remind ourselves how big our God is. We need to remind ourselves of how powerful our God is. You always start with praise, exalt him. Why? Not because he needs to hear it, but you need to hear yourself say it. It identifies you with his greatness. It identifies you with his magnitude, his, his ability to change everything. Verse 5, great God of heaven. And then verse 6, he moves to petition. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying for you day and night. And he says, I confess. So petition, he's praying, God, hear me. I, I've got business to do. And when we pray, we've got some business to do. There's something I need to talk to you about. And I'm asking for an audience with the king. I'm asking for an opportunity to speak to you. And then he begins to confess. Did he have anything to do with this? No, no. Your servant is praying before you day and night. Your servants, the people of Israel, I confess, we, uh, the sins of Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Let me just suggest to you that there comes a point where I don't, I don't need to confess that I've sinned like my fathers have sinned. But if I'm going to be used by God to affect change, I have to identify with the failure of the city. You can't help by cursing the city. You can help by confessing the city. To identify, yes, my fathers were part of that. Yes, my story is part of that. And God, we've done wickedly. So he goes from praise to petition to confession in verse 7. Here's the problem. Here's what's happening. And if I were praying for America today, I'd say, God, I confess the sins of my generation and the sins of the generations before us, we're slaughtering babies at a rate higher than we ever have. We've cursed you and walked away from you. We're mocking you. We're turning away from biblical purity and biblical models and mandates. God, I confess before you the great wickedness of our land. It will help you identify with what's broken in the world around us. And then that turns to the promises. Look at verse 8. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, 
If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them there, from there and bring them together. He's reminding the promises of God. Now, listen to me for a moment. This is an important distinction in prayer. I've heard people say you need to remind God of his promises. You don't need to remind God of anything. God knows his promises. But repeating them back identifies you with the promise. It gives you ownership of the promise. And you're saying to God, here's why I'm coming before you. You gave me permission. Does he need to hear that? No, but you need to hear that. And you need to come rightly before a holy God, not flippantly, not brazenly, boldly, but not brazenly. And the way that you can come boldly is when you're armored with or carrying with or garbed in the promises of God. God, the reason I'm coming is I'm laying claim to this promise. I'm laying claim to that. A couple of years ago, we, uh, a few years ago, we moved from one house to another house in Altoona. That's a long story. And uh, my son had a bicycle that was broken. And I didn't want to mess with it, and I didn't want to pay to fix it. And so I said to him, are you riding this? It's not rideable. I said, if you let me get rid of it, when you're ready to start riding again, I'll get you a new one. Now, I'm not God, but I had no intention of reminding him of that promise. I gave it to him. And when he's ready to use it, he needs to call on that promise. I'm not going to sit by his bed every night and say, now you remember, Sonny, I promised you a bike. If the, if the promise is valuable and meaningful, he'll remember, and then he'll lay claim to the promise. That's what we're doing. We're not reminding God. We're saying, God, I remember what you said, and I'm going to act on that promise, and I'm going to stand on that promise, and that's why I'm approaching you. And the day came that he said, do you remember, Dad, when you said? Yeah, I remember. (laughs) The time is now. And I honored that because I said I would. In that period of time, the cost of bicycles increased. (laughs) But I honored my promise. Hello? When you express the promises of God, you're not bullying God in a corner. You're coming with confidence saying, God, you gave me this promise. And today's the day I want to cash it in. And you know what he will do? He will rejoice over you with joy. He'll respond to your faith, to your desire, to your heart. The moment is right. And Nehemiah says, God, I've got a promise here. I'm standing on what you said. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm not demanding that you respond. I'm asking you now to fulfill the promise. It's time. And I am entering into agreement with you that this will come to pass. And when the hand of man lays hold of the hand of God, supernatural miracles will take place. And then verse 10, he prays for the blessing of God. Prayer is essential to the success of reaching the city. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, here's what I want you to see. He confesses the needs of the city. He confesses the brokenness. 
but he doesn't pray for how the need will be met. Do you know what really happens here? Nehemiah prays more about Nehemiah than he does about the city. Come on, Nehemiah prays more about Nehemiah in this prayer than he does about the city. He's worshiping God. He's confessing failure. He's asking God for help. He's asking God for success. Prayer is the life and breath of the believer and nothing is done for the kingdom without praying people. And so if you're going to pray for the city, you need to pray for yourself because the city needs men and women who are in touch with Jesus, men and women who are in right standing with him. And the best way you can help the city is to make sure your relationship with God is the healthiest it possibly can be. Getting in line, praying for the city is praying for you. Praying that you get in right relationship, right standing with him. It isn't us versus them. And I, I really... We've got to today, church, hear me. We've got to, please, on, on Facebook and in your interaction, you're being baited by the devil to attack people with vitriol that will destroy your testimony. We are, we are not against people. I'm not against Democrats. I'm not against Republicans. I'm not against People, I need people to understand I'm against policies, but I love people. Come on. This needs to be a place where everybody finds Jesus. And there's enough on both sides of the aisle for you to blow up the whole place, uh, metaphorically speaking. (laughs) But the reality is you're being baited to destroy your testimony by manifesting a hateful spirit. Shout now, somebody. Because who are the city? We're the city. It's not me against Pleasant Hill. It's not me against Altoona, me against Des Moines. It's not me against anybody. I'm against ungodly concepts and ungodly principles, and I will stand against those. But you're being baited to enter into an us versus them dichotomy that will shut the door on everyone who needs to hear about Jesus because it's not the healthy, it's not the whole, it's not the healed who need a physician, it's the sick that need a physician. And I'll promise you if I went in to see the doctor and when I walked in and sat down, he said to me, how stupid are you? I would turn around and walk out. I don't need him to berate me, I need him to heal me. Come on, help me now. You have to identify with the city, and the only way to do that is to enter into that and identify with that and present that as intercession before God. I'm not standing back pointing, where am I? I'm standing in the gap for the city that I love and the people that I love and the people that I care about. I'm in this with them. Oh, God, hear my appeal, hear my cry for my city, for the people that I love, the people that I care for. So once you investigate the condition of the city and you intercede for the needs of the city, then you've got to invest yourself on behalf of the city. (laughs) I have my prayer map. I believe in prayer maps. I believe in prayer lists. And I love, listen, hear me. I love that picture of the war room 
and the closet of prayer. You need to have a closet of prayer. But there comes a time you need to get out of the closet of prayer and get on the battlefield of the city. You need to get out and do something where it's no longer safe and controlled. All he says, watch this, he doesn't even, I think Nehemiah is a little bit nervous of what this is going to cost him. Have you ever had those moments where you know, if I pray this prayer, it's going to cost me. Oh, God, bless our missionaries. Really? Look at what he says. Give your servant success by granting him favor in the presence of this man. What man? He hasn't referred to him prior to that. He hasn't said, oh, king. What man is he referring to? What success is he responding to? And he says, I was the king's cupbearer. Why does he say that? These are all disjointed statements. Because he knows in his heart of heart, before he ever says the words, what God's going to ask of him. <laughs> Some of you are sitting there already knowing what God wants from you. You're just not willing to pray that prayer. <laughs> Uh, God grant me success. I, if, I, if I were God and I'm not, how many are glad for that? I'm not. But I just said, uh, Nehemiah, success for what? And what man do you want favor with? But then he puts all that he has on the table and he said, the reason I'm, pray- the reason I'm praying this prayer is because I was the king's cupbearer. Do you know who the king's cupbearer was? He was the most trusted man in the king's court. He wasn't just a servant. He was a high-ranking official in the king's court. He had the responsibility sometimes to taste the beverage, not always, but to make sure that anything that came to the king's lips was safe. And that man was the most trusted man in the empire. Do you hear what he's saying? God, I know who I am. (laughs) I know who I am. Do you know who you are? Do you know what place you hold in the city? What gifts you bring? What involvement you have? What connections you have? He's not asking you to be somebody you're not. He's asking you to say, God, here's who I am. Use this. However you want, use this. You have to be willing to invest you time, treasure, and talent. Some people, it's easy to give their money so they don't have to give their time or their talents. But God's not asking just for your money. He's asking for your time and your talents as well. And Nehemiah is saying, listen, I don't have to say anymore. I know who I am. And I know what this is going to cost me. Who are you? What can you lay before him? What are you willing to invest? And his prayer is, Help me succeed. 
Help me make a difference. Help me redeem the city. Now, let me finish it this way. He didn't say, I, I own a construction company. He didn't say, I have resources that they need to rebuild the walls. Because the obvious thing with gates broken and walls broken, the obvious thing would be that they need someone who can help rebuild the walls. Well, I don't have those gifts. I don't have those talents. God's not looking for what you don't have. He's looking for what you do have. I'm sure there wasn't a callus on his hands. I'm sure he hadn't swung a hammer in his life. And God's calling him to rebuild the walls. But he said, I am the king's cupbearer. Use my influence. Use my relationship. Use my position to redeem the city. And that's where it starts. What are you willing to invest? Are you willing to investigate? Are you willing to intercede? Are you willing to invest? If you do, then this body of believers will be in a place to redeem our cities. It's time to pull back from retreat. And it's time to go on the offensive for the cause of the kingdom. Let's stand together. And here's how I want us to close today. Online chapel here in this service. God, who am I and what do I have that you can use? Give me success in being used by you. Would you just take a moment? Then Pastor Nathan is going to lead us in some worship. Just take a moment and say, God, what do I have that you can use? Can you imagine if God would take all of us in our unique places and our unique giftings? God, help me redeem the city. Help me redeem the city. What do I have? that you can use for the kingdom's sake. Would you just right now, just ask him, just ask him to show you, God, what do I have that you can use to redeem the city?
Lord Jesus, give us curious hearts that we'll be willing to look and see what the needs of our cities are. God, break our hearts with what breaks your heart and show us how you've positioned us and called us and equipped us to be used by you today for the redeeming of the city. Let what's happened inside the walls carry outside the walls to the community around us. I ask in Jesus' name, and everyone who loves him said, amen, amen, amen. amen. You can be seated just for a moment. Again, I just want to say thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being a part of Berean, thank you for your financial support. We need that. And we're going to believe God together, amen, to reach this city for the king, to reach this city.